Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No share with Dr. Dave. Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Share with Dr. Dave podcast. This is Dr. Dave Cornelius, your host. Um, let's talk about social justice definition. So we say social justice is the view that everyone deserves equal economic, political, social rights, and opportunities. The aim is to open doors of access and opportunity for everyone, uh, particularly to those in greatest need. So when we think of, of social justice, it contains all of the following, equal rights, equal opportunity, equal treatment. Our conversation today is with Colleen Kirtland someone that I hold a great deal of respect and admiration for because of the good work she's doing with helping underestimated kids increase the skills, their skills in education. You know, I've served with Colleen um, in the Five Saturdays um, STEAM program. We say STEAM because A is for Agile. And I say, welcome, Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you uh, take about a minute or more and uh, do an elevator pitch? about Colleen and your superhero persona. Oh my goodness. Well, that's going to involve some creativity on a Friday here. Um, well, my name is Colleen Kirtland, and it's a great pleasure to be here today with you, Dr. Dave. If I were to describe myself, and we all have superpowers, um, I think the ones that I would choose that would stand out might be akin to almost like a superpower butterfly. And what I mean by that, so the butterfly metaphor comes up in, in a lot of different cultural mythologies and other things, but I think the metamorphosis aspect is really important because we're always changing, right? We, we may be the very same being from the caterpillar all the way to the butterfly. However, we're changing and we're going through this evolution and it's biological, it's, it, it, it takes time. Uh, and it's a cycle, it's a cycle of life. It's, it's a natural cycle. So. Um, I think that would be it. I don't know if there's a, a butterfly superhero, like Wonder Butterfly or something, but I'm going to go ahead and go with Butterfly. <laughs> oh, I love the metaphor. I love it. And so it's an original and we're going to keep it. And we're, we're claiming that, right? Okay. Yeah. We'll figure out some name of like Super Monarch or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful name, Super Monarch. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about social justice challenges and how has that shown up in your work, community, and family? Okay, so this question, I'm very glad you sent me questions in advance. I actually thought I'd take a different spin on this. So you say, how is it showing up in my work and community and family? And what's really interesting and what made me actually think about a missing component of social justice is that if I take the typical circle I walk in, it is not showing up. And I think this is a really salient point about having the courage to travel outside of our comfort zone to find places where there's a need for social justice. So, you know, ironically, I was talking to my husband, I'd say two nights ago, and, and um, I don't mean this to be of any disrespect to any of your lis listeners or um, uh, anybody who uh, subscribes to this podcast, but I was saying, you know, I sometimes feel I'm equally as privileged as a white male. And, you know, I, I take this seriously and I have nothing against white males. I'm mar married to a wonderful white male. <laughs> and I think it goes beyond, you know, just the color of your skin and your gender. 
it goes into the aspects of where we have access and we have opportunity in our lives. And I was very lucky. I grew up with a very loving family. And although we didn't have tons of money, we had tons of love and tons of educational opportunities. <laughs> so my father uh, uh, was, and he still is a physicist, but he's now a retired physics professor. Um, and he was, and still is my model for education as a way to foster this tremendous love for learning, right? And um, I think that, that going back to your question, what's really important is that if I didn't take journeys outside of my comfort circle, I actually wouldn't see social justice and opportunities for it. And I think that's just um, a marker of how privileged I am and a reminder that I need to actually explicitly seek out places where social justice is needed. Well, that's the, 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 the super monarch butterfly that's spreading its wing outside of your comfort zone, which is amazing. You are a well-established, uh, oh, uh, you are an executive in a well-established company. Um, so what is your view on corporate responsibility when, it, when you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and my favorite, belonging? Oh my gosh, you just hit on so many wonderful words. And I have to say, right now I'm at an awesome company that very much values diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, it's been stated from the top down that this is important and it is a part of um, fabrics that we're working on, right? And what's so interesting again, and this is nothing against my company, is I look again at that social context and I ask myself, what does it take to even join my company in the first place? You know, a lot of times it's a college education, it's certain skills that are hard to acquire and, and ones in which uh, don't have, um, you might not have a, a wide range of exposure. And so companies may have the most positive intent to actually increase the breadth of their diversity, equity, and inclusion, but actually may not, maybe limited a little bit, you know? And so I'd be really curious about other companies that are experimenting with, um, if there's any out there that are experimenting with truly going to places we don't go to hire. And I, I've talked with some folks, you know, and, and, you know, there are some really great DEI programs. I actually heard about one that a giant software company is running, one that everybody knows about. And it's, it's, I heard about it through a friend of mine, um, Lorena Aguilar, you know her, and she, 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 is, um, she knows the executive of that company. And they actually are going to establish workplaces that don't force people to centralize to the city that they're located in, but they actually are going outside even the US territory to say, we're gonna establish a local version of the skills and aptitudes necessary for this company to thrive. And so that's just one example that comes to mind of how far this needs to be taken because of the way in which even the best positive intent may or may not be realized due to the fact that systemically, the people who even end up on your radar are already very, very um, abundant in their skills and very privileged. So I think, yeah, I think corporate um, responsibility for this is gonna, it's gonna take that, uh, that curiosity, that butterfly nature to fly outside of the company's comfort zone as well. That's beautiful. So 
I'm going to ask you a tough, a little tougher question. <laughs> so do you have an Asian or, or Pacific Islander social justice experience that you could share with us? Social justice, you mean a personal one to me? Yeah, or... personal. And even if it's not personal, it, it could be someone that you know, someone that's close to you. Um, I, I can share, luckily nothing has transpired, but um, if, if I can bring us back to that place uh, um, before the, the current election and the... You know, this, I, I don't want to get political, that's not my intent, but I'll just say that very, very prominent political leaders um, uh, called our current COVID situation the Wuhan virus, and that led to actual um, situations with Asian and Pacific Islander people all over the country actually getting attacked, right? There were some attacks in New York, and then my family lives in San Francisco, and wow, there was a lot of stuff with um, elderly people and uh, you know, there was concern in the community, and I was also concerned for my parents and my family um, over that. And so, you know, that's one thing that really hit home is that it's kind of funny, to be completely honest. I, when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm just Colleen, and then I suddenly remember I have this other, like, identity because of the way I look and my genetic heritage that is Chinese, and I suddenly... Um, actually felt a little scared during that period of going out and being much more careful about being alone. I mean, I'm, I'm generally careful anyway about that, but the, but the, the heightened awareness of the need to be careful was something new to me and something that, you know, I really realized I'm going to continue to do my part to exercise my democracy and voice through voting, through social activism, um, because that's where the changes really happen. I, I don't like, I mean, I don't like going and just preaching to people. I, I like going to make the change. And so it's like, well, if I'm feeling scared, the first thing is don't cower to it and also don't be stupid. So I wasn't gonna do something that put myself in danger, but I'm also very, very aware of, um, I'll say my Chinese identity and, that, that's gonna come, it's gonna become more and more of a challenge, I think, because not only did we get set off on the wrong foot by the COVID virus sort of being declared as um, something to blame China on, but also when I look at the power politics now of, uh, between the US and China, that worries me. I have a lot of family history with that. My parents were um, originally born in China and uh, fled to Taiwan, um, during the communist takeover in 1949, and then came to this country in the 50s where they began their life in the US. And you know, with that history, I'll mention a couple things, which is I don't care what dictatorship labels itself as, dictatorship can come from the extreme right and the extreme left. And this one story that my dad told me when the um, January 6th Capitol massacre occurred uh, he said, wow, said, I never thought this would happen in the United States. And I'm very bothered that the forces on the extreme right actually look very similar to the forces on the extreme left that we were running from in China in 1949. And I said, well, dad, what, what are those similarities? <laughs> and he said, well, first of all, every dictatorship wants to shut down the voices of truth and science and reason. And 
you know, and I said, wow, that's really powerful because he remembers like some of my, my actually direct relatives after the fortunate ones fled to Taiwan because they were educated people, um, teachers and doctors and other things, they were actually um, sent to the countryside by the communist regime and actually sent to work camps, you know, because they were considered threatening, you know, because they wanted to speak the truth. Right. And so, so I think that was like just so many awesome experiences during COVID but that conversation with my dad around, you know, the face of dictatorship may look different, but the soul doesn't. Right. And, and I think that, that to me, you know, those are just some of the touch points that I, I, I really treasure now thinking about that. And I've always thought the same way is that the extremes of anything could end up looking identically evil. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt, that's for sure. I can totally concur with that. So if, if you had to choose a practice to coach someone through like belonging, healing, and trauma, and if you notice I inverted it, start with belonging, healing, and trauma, who's dealing with social justice challenges, um, what practice would that be? Mm. I love that you start with belonging because... The belonging and the healing, I think, fundamentally, if we try to change things on the outside of ourselves first, we, we, we always fail. <laughs> because the, the, the healing actually, I think, starts with our, ourselves. Um, and and I, I, I don't know what other people's truths are, but, but in my own practices um, of self-healing and self-caring, that's kind of the nucleus um, of the values that I espouse and practice so that then I have enough energy to give to others that same thing. So I don't consider it as like um, any kind of, I, I guess I consider it as a kind of, it's a kind of way in which we show up in the world. And by doing that, it's additive healing, right? Because we really can't heal other people. <laughs> I think that's one of the, 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 the myths out there is it's not about changing the other. It's about changing self. And as we change self, we add to the healing in this world. And sometimes, you know, um, people, when they see someone else in a good state and in a good mindset with an open heart and genuine concern, that in itself is de-escalating, right? And it doesn't mean that we, we don't bring out the really bold person, right? Because sometimes um, I'll say, you know, in, in nature, uh, a mother protects her young, whether it's a human mother, an animal mother, and that's out of this concern for survival. And it's, it's, it's something that's out of concern, right? And it's a natural instinct. So I'm not saying that we, we are always soft with people. Sometimes we have to put our foot down so that our little light can continue to shine, right? Because you don't want somebody to take that light away from you or something that will diminish uh, the individual power of healing we can each bring into the community. So with that wonderful essence of healing and that you bring and you, you show up with all the time, you know, talk to me about a few actions that you're taking personally to improve opportunities for Black Indigenous and people of color, BIPOC in the Agile community. I know you are. 
<laughs> is, it, is it have to be limited to the agile community? Are we talking communities no, in no, general? No, okay. <laughs> for the community in general. How's that? Um, but I will say first, um, since this is an agile podcast, what's really interesting too is a lot of practitioners in the agile community, again, have that positive intent. And we have to also recognize where those people come from. They had the advantages to gain those skills and gain that knowledge. And, you know, it, it comes from your educational background, the companies you were in, the opportunities you've had. So in that sense, um, I wasn't there at the last in-person Scrum Alliance meeting, but my friends who were told me that there was some serious dialogue around the lack of diversity. And um, I have to say that I would fundamentally agree with that and that we have to keep working hard not just asking about the dimension of the color of your skin, but let's look at other elements of diversity that come through forms of our history, our ancestry, our upbringing, right? I mean, these are all things where, like, uh, would, be, would we be willing to um, populate our community with voices that are different from ours, right? I mean, a lot of us agilists like to be together because we hold a lot in common. And now the question is, who else is welcome? And um, I remember this one conversation, actually, and I won't name names because I, I don't want it to get sensitive, but um, I read this one book by a pretty well-known uh, clean code person one time. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't aware um, that this person apparently had really, really offended a lot of people in the Apple community. And I posted on LinkedIn, hey, this seems like a good book, you know? <laughs> And I got a flurry of texts saying, oh, my gosh, you know, you have no idea what you just did and blah, blah, blah. And wow. I actually, in that case, I didn't realize it. I did pull that post down, not because I'm, I'm afraid of saying things, but I, I didn't want to represent that voice as it was perceived through others. Now, I will still say I've never met that individual in person. So in my heart, they still have every chance in the world. But clearly, the people around me had had so many traumatic experiences with that person that I was like, well, I don't want to create more of that trauma. But it did make me curious because, you know, um, there were political overtones in it and which direction that person leaned. And granted, you know, I myself didn't hold those beliefs either. My question is, it, it brought up that whole polarity we have in our country now about that different other, right? And the second we identify that different other and don't talk to it, we actually create more negativity, more division, uh, and, and less healing. And so I took that as, well, I hear my Agile community, I support them, and I want to learn more because this is the conversation we should be involved in. Is that other person, how did they get that way? And what is it they're trying to protect? And what is it, what is in their value system, right, that makes them believe what they do? and try to take the judgment off the table, you know, a little bit. So that, that made me aware that everywhere there's a lot of work to do to explore. And, and I trusted, you know, the people that gave me that feedback, I, I completely trust them. I admire them. They're, they're colleagues of mine. So, but it was a lesson about, wow, we've, <laughs> I, I guess there are some people that have been ostracized that I wasn't aware of. And I'm, I'm hoping that through some kind of connection, maybe one day we can find new openings with those people and maybe start afresh. 
Well, maybe that you could invite them to your, your cooking experiment that you did. I love that. <laughs> right. Open dialogue while we're making a meal. I thought that was just such a beautiful experiment that you did. Perhaps we can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so let's talk about some significant change you would like to see to support BIPOC and non-BIPOC integration in the Agile community and beyond, since I know you're beyond the Agile commu community as well. So let's look at it from those lenses. Let me think about that. So how would I support more integration? Is that yeah. the crux of the question? More connection, more, yeah, more interactions. It's really interesting. Maybe if you could help me a little, Dave, can you answer for those who might listen to your podcast, where we perceive need around that? Like, what are some of the prominent voices you've heard where, where, where we're saying that we're not integrating well enough? And not, well, you don't have to name their names. I'm just kind of yeah. trying to get the themes of what, what the concern is. This is observation and experience. It, it's not what anyone else is saying, because not if you're not aware that it's happening, and everyone else who is similar to you, and you're spending in most of your interactive time, with those mm -hmm. individuals, well, then you're not including everyone else. And I think you spoke to that earlier in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of observation. You know, you and I go to lots of conferences and show up at a lot of meetups. And, and the thing is, is how open is that door and inclusive of everyone in that space? Right. And how hard yeah. does, does the common, you know, how hard, how hard does a non, that a BIPOC person have to work? to integrate and interact in that space. So that's, yeah. this is where I'm coming from. And this is just from experience. Um, right, you don't hear right. a lot of voices talking about this, right? No, and I'd like to hear more. <laughs> yeah, because no, and I think we, we got to lean a little, we got to lean in a little to this controversy in a positive way yes. that creates a productive forward path. And you mentioned something about hard work and almost um, this notion of needing to work harder, you know, get noticed and stuff. And so if, if we're talking about greater integration and inclusion, I think, you know, maybe considering mentorships and ways of bringing people in, into circles, right? Because in other words, if people are on the quote unquote in circle, they, they got to work harder to bring others who aren't in, who have that interest. And maybe there's some practical things that we're just not aware of, like who out there in the BIPOC community is interested in, say, the Agile community, but doesn't feel welcome and, and is scared to kind of break the ice. If we knew who those were, if we had the knowledge of that, maybe we could actually do the outreach. And I think maybe part of it is, because you mentioned this whole thing is controversial. It is controversial and perhaps there isn't enough information on how to help and who to help for the people who, even with they have good intentions on the inside of the circle. They really can't help unless we start to get specific around who needs the help and who are the voices out there that are feeling suppressed or actually getting suppressed, right? Yeah, well, and, and that's why we're having this conversation because there isn't a lot of discussion around that, right? And, and so can we bring more awareness through this dialogue uh -huh. that there is a need? Whatever, you know, whether it's people are aware or not, you know, when you look around and you see there's, uh, there isn't enough diversity in the process, right? And it's not just about BIPOC people, it's also include women, right? As part of that mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so what, what steps are people taking? I know what steps I take. I know I go out of my way to make sure there's inclusion in everything that I do, right? That there's diversity in voices and experience in everything that I do, right? Because that's my level of awareness. And that's my responsibility. The question is, how do we get everyone else to take on that, <laughs> take on that lens? And because we have different experiences, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a very uh, wonderful thing to not only discuss and create more awareness. We also really owe it to people to walk in their shoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I would say to the best that we can, you know, I mean, in my experience with um, so I can mention Hoya Scholars, they're a nonprofit. So I, I, I volunteer as a mentor. The Hoya Scholars, and I'm really excited because I've, I've taken, now this will be my third young lady from ninth grade all the way through high school, and as long as they want to be in the program, I'm there for them, but um, each one of them comes with a different gift, and the funny thing is somebody can come with this intent of, say, let's just say I want to be in the Agile community, or in this case with Hoya, I want to be in college. And yet, as we discover and open up spaces, we realize, hey, they really don't want to be in college. They really want to be a, go to the police academy, which my last, <laughs> we discovered actually that my, my last mentee did not want to go to college, and yet she was in this college program. And I, I think it's really important that we listen. Sometimes people really just need an ear and some reassurance that somebody will hear the direction they really want, you know? So it, it and, and then my mentee before that, so I've been with Hoya now for multiple years through two high school, beautiful young ladies and not yet, not one has gone to college yet, but it doesn't matter because what we created there was what was the passion and what they wanted to do. So my first young lady, uh, I, I think, became a hairdresser, which I thought was fantastic. School was not her cup of tea. And we, I need my hair cut all the time. Yep. And then my second one, you know, I knew from day one when she did her vision board um, that uh, she wasn't going to be liking college. She was like very athletic, really into like very intense and active kinds of jobs when we did like career investigations, like it would be you know, military, police. And I think recently, even though she's graduated from the program, she did send me a text and it looks like she's going to want to be an EMT. That's her actual cert. And that also is right in that space of that like um, super active, present kind of intense job. And I, I, I'm, I'm totally behind her. I hope she makes it through that program. But I knew that day one when she came in and did her vision board that college probably wasn't going to be her cup of tea, right? And so... I think just allowing space for people to have dreams and then let the dreams pivot, that's really, really important. And I'll leave this particular question on a really inspiring note. I just get so energized by all these wonderful youth that I get to interact with. This young lady who I just met this week, because it was our first, the start of the school year. So her energy is completely different and wonderful. So we start the year with a vision board and they're, they're, they're in the room cutting out, you know, magazine pictures and other things. And so she started with a picture of Yosemite and flowers because she really likes nature. And I said, that is phenomenal. You know, I do too. We'll have a lot in common. You know, we can talk about our love for the outdoors. 
And then she held up something in Spanish. I actually posted this on LinkedIn. She held up something in Spanish. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, Latinas need to have a voice. This says that, that Latinos should have a voice. So she found that in the magazine and cut it out. And I said, wow, this young lady, I don't know what she's going to be, but she definitely, if she has academic skills, will do great wherever she goes. But the fact that we have so much courage about having a voice is very inspiring to me because it shows that somebody wants a different reality for themselves, right? And that they have the power and the desire to bring that at such a young age, ninth grade, to identify that. So that that's kind of maybe a little bit around um, ways to integrate is that's my little story about how I love integrating with um, with those kids. No, I, I, I love it. And it's one of the things that I really you know, love about the work that you're doing with, with Hoya scholars and, and, you know, your outreach beyond the, the agile community, right? That's, those are wonderful things. Um, I want to talk about utopia. And if I ask you, what would diversity, equity, and inclusion look like, you know, for you in a utopic world, you know, what is your story along those lines? You know, I, I, I actually think Utopia is something we shouldn't shoot for. And it's not because I, I don't believe in betterment. It's because the word utopia itself, for me at least, conjures up this notion of a static, permanent, oh, we're there, right? Yeah, that was the uh, clouds yeah. parting or whatever. But <laughs> that, that's sort of like, that kind of way of seeing destination as a fixed state always has not sat as well with me. I think if you want to look at utopia for me, it's this space where we can continuously explore and it never um, is static and it always is changing. There are surprises, there are unexpected things. And around that is what we co-create together is that that state of, we, we hold that state to be the most important one because through holding this state, we become very curious about each other, about the world. We all acknowledge that we each only have a piece of wisdom and a piece of knowledge. And we're also always dynamically changing as we come in, into, um, as we, as we interact with different people, as new knowledge comes to us, as we change, as we evolve. And so utopia for me is that continuous state and space for possibilities. So I think with DEI, um, you know, who knows what in the future, I mean, today we talk about socioeconomic justice, we talk about skin color, but whatever it is, we're always, needing to be aware of diversity and inclusion, I think, because we're always needing to reintegrate with ourselves. And, and, and um, you know, I, I guess some of the, the philosophies and teachings I read talk about non-dualism, which is there is no such thing as self <laughs> and other, right? I mean, there's not self and other. It's, it's, it's we belong to something bigger. And 
yeah, we have our own, we have our independent thinking and we have our, you know, we have our some degree of autonomy for sure. It's, it's tremendous power. And if we don't also recognize that we belong to something bigger, then I don't see what we're here for, right? I mean, if, if you look at something biological like COVID that completely um, interconnects us involuntarily <laughs> in these ways, it becomes powerful because what you really see all human beings now as a vector for transmission, right? That, that's what we've really become. So we are connected. And therefore, my decisions and my responsibility and care have to increase so that I can protect the vector uh, and everybody in it, right? So, so that's at least how I see things, you know, um, from, from that point of view. Oh, no, that, that was powerful. I, I really enjoy your perspective on that. But um, in closing, any final words you want to leave or, or drops of wisdom <laughs> that you want to leave our listeners with today? Um, I don't think I have much wisdom, but I certainly have a lot of, I always have genuine hope for the future and that possibility for change. I know it seems really dark right now in a lot of spaces in our world. It is, you know, and in some ways though, that, that darkness also opens up a lot of possibilities to start with ourselves and, and work with others and not make assumptions, um, you know, uh, and just give thanks for any little bit of grace or light that comes into our day. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think as I've, um, as I've progressed in the years, I've actually become happier because I realize there is so little in my direct control except for how I show up that I can control. And that does have a power to help others or help sounds condescending. It's just that presence, like I was saying, is additive. And that's kind of seeing myself kind of just shrunk down to this little tiny entity that has some tiny degree of influence, even that, that yeah, I think Rumi, the poet, said something like uh, the whole universe is in you or something like that. It's, it's, it's kind of like, um, I, I don't remember the exact words, but I, I love that notion that within this little microcosm that I call self is actually the whole universe. So I'll start here. I'll start with me and I'll, I'll start um, by being joyful and loving and um, strong. All at, all at once. I can be all those things at once. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> well, good. Colleen, thank you so much for your grace and for your light today. I really appreciate you. Um, and, you know, I look forward to us collaborating and other stuff. You know. Yes, yes. I know it's been way too long, Dr. Yes. Dave, and I know you moved away from the Southern California area, but you know, the five Saturdays was, was also super fun and whatever happens, you know, I just, I'm always happy that I know there's so many, um, there's so many different points of light everywhere. And it, it reminds me of this other nonprofit that my husband and I support called the Kid Singers, also a similar demographic in Orange County here. And uh, they always end every concert with this little light of mine, you know, this little light yep, of yep, mine, yep, love I'm song. gonna let it shine. Yes, and I just love, love that because it's a, uh, it, it makes me happy. I'm still a kid in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Colleen. So thank you for listening to the Knowledge Show with Dr. Dave podcast. I hope this learning experience would also prompt you to take and seek more 
and discover how you can contribute to positive experiences for BIPOC and non-BIPOC lives. Um, it really doesn't take much. Um, all we have to do is to tap into our own humanity. And um, I just want to say this music, the music that you're going to hear in this podcast was written by my niece, Kayana Brow Hendrickson. Um, the podcast is copyright 2021 by Nalshir and Dr. Dave Cornelius. So I would like to say until next time, be well, stay safe, and connect soon. Thanks, Colleen. You're welcome. Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No, no share with Dr. Dave.